But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And the most iconic aircraft in film history drinks Dos Equis. Yeah. No, wait. <laughs> no, yeah, right. No, 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 no. <laughs> the world's the world's most fabulous here. What's that guy call himself? The world's the some man. The most world, interesting most man. Interesting most man. interesting man. The world's most interesting man. Yeah. Yes. Well, these are these might be the world's most interesting airplanes. I, I, here. I don't always fly small aircraft, but when I do, <laughs> I fly Beechcraft. <laughs> We're looking at a. Uh, this is a. Uh, Whatever Chapman Freeborn is, uh, apparently they're aircraft brokers. Uh, and so on their blog, they have posted a list. Uh, and every couple of years, somebody kind of takes a deep breath, loses their mind, and tries to post a list like this. And this is the latest. <laughs> uh, this is the uh, uh, most iconic aircraft in film history. And there's about, what, five or six or seven airplanes here. Let's talk about these airplanes. Let's go through these one at a time. And, and Chapman Freeborn's a charter outfit. Oh, is that what they are? Okay. Yeah. They're they, they kind of uh, like a, a management company that specializes in chartering mostly other people's airplanes uh, that are out on management programs. Uh, mm -hmm. Big outfit, too. Big outfit. Yeah. So the first one on their list is a Fairchild C-82A Packet. Now... Is that what this airplane's called? Does this airplane have another name? Because I, this looks... There are other versions of this basic design built by Fairchild. I don't have that in front of me right now, but you know, it's a shame that in this day and age we don't have I some know. network or capability to, to right-click and, and say, yes, open up the Wikipedia page in their blog and, post and look at successors. Yeah. In their blog post, I was going to try and I'm stalling for time while you look it up. Um, in their blog post, the Chapman uh, Freeborn people write, uh, released in 1965, the flight of the Phoenix and its ensemble cast depicts a ragtag group of men and their struggle for survival after the emergency landing of their Fairchild C82 packet in the Sahara desert. So this is a, uh, a uh, cargo airplane, uh, a, a big a fuselage color. for like the front two thirds of the of the aircraft, and then twin boom, twin tail, uh, uh, twin tails uh, with uh, two engines, uh, and uh, it's it's a definitely an iconic looking airplane. Whether or not it's one no, of it's the, in, it, 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 it's high wing, and it almost looks like it could land on water. Uh, Once. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but, but uh, the 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 fuselage it does have a little bit of that kind of flying boat has, look to it. It has right. that right. kind of shape to it, which is not an accident. They they thought that would help lift some of the weight that the wings had to carry. But this was a major utility airplane for you know dropping uh, small tanks, light pieces of artillery, uh, jeeps, a uh, couple of platoons of armed men uh, into. Tight spaces and unimproved strips, and and then hauling ass out again. Yeah. So uh, now is this this is not the same airplane that was in Con Air? Do you know the movie? Remember the movie? Well, that's, it, well, it that's where I was. Flight. That's where I was headed. See, the the other version of this is called the C one nineteen. Okay. Flying boxcar, and if you read down at the bottom of this paragraph describing the C eighty two, you'll see that reference, and that's the. To me, is the more iconic. Um, 
of the uh, flying boxcar twin boom cargo um, uh, aircraft. Okay. That that having been said, I'm not aware of any C-119s having been in a movie, much less uh, Flight of the Phoenix. So, I mean, they're they're correct in their nomenclature and their choice of version, um, but I'm not sure this is one of the most iconic airplanes in film history. Let me let me say say that up front. Well, and they're basing this less on the aircraft and more on the role that it played in the movies. That and I think the movie and, and the movie's impact itself. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. Uh, like this Fairchild 123 provider that they. Uh, that they talk about in here that uh, they they uh, are showing, uh, you know, it, it bears some kind of, some resemblance to a, a, a washed on high dried on hot uh, version of a C one thirty. Well, see now that's okay. Before we get to C one thirty, because the other airplane that this one puts me in mind of is the airplane that I think of as being from um, from uh, uh, Air America, the one that, uh, that uh, what's his name and what's his name? Uh, you, mean, you, mean, you mean Con Air. No, 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 Air America. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Um, Air uh, America, Mel, Mel, Mel Gibson, Gibson and, and, uh, and Iron Man. There. Iron Man, um, uh, Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Thank you, Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> A very young Robert Downey Jr. Oh, uh, yeah. Our pilots for Air America, the CIA operation during the Vietnam War, and at one point during the, well, at numerous points during the movie, you see them flying. I believe it was a 123. Um, and I just did the re- Con Air also has a C-123. No, so I know, according to Wikipedia, Con Air had a C-123. And now let's see. Well, if that's can... what this page says. The 123 right. provider was the right. Con Air. And then there was another movie where the a C-119 flying boxcar was a, the pivotal location for a lot of the action. But it wasn't the central theme of the story. I don't. Mm-hmm. I no. can't remember what the hell that was. Now. Yeah. Now the so the C. Um, I'm I'm now Wikipedia does say that uh, Air America was also a C-123, um, and so they they, they crashed it. Um, they got shot down, and it was quite a dramatic scene. I don't know how, how aviation realistic it was, but it was kind of exciting. And uh, the really cool scene, by the way, talk about iconic aircraft. Okay, here's one that we should nominate for the list, also from Air America. The airplane that they flew into that insanely short strip on the hillside in the middle of the jungle. Do you remember? You remember the scene? Was, uh, oh, was that a, a helio courier? I was going to say that or a porter. According yeah, to porters, would be a good choice too. Porter is what comes back to my mind here. Um, uh, the, I recall I thought, it was turbine powered, not piston. Well, that would have favored the porter, uh, and it had that long stroke landing gear that. Yeah. Makes yeah. those you know forty degree angle descent landings, but, nothing burgers. Yeah. But the C one twenty three I've always thought is the kind of predecessor to the one thirty, which maybe it actually is. I'm not sure. But uh, I, I, so that's the the first iconic aircraft, a Fairchild C eighty two A packet. Uh, what's how about this? How about the Jet Star for the part it played in Goldfinger? Well, yeah. If you're going to, but if you're going to James Bond movie iconic aircraft, then there's only one. BD five J. BD five J. There can be only one. Yeah. See, oh no, that's a different movie line. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, right. But uh, you know, I mean, and and that was going to be the that was going to be one of the airplanes that I proposed that I'd be on this this as well. well the, yeah, yeah. The we only go through the list and then yeah, get so anyway, to the, the ones we, they've missed. Boeing seven forty seven. Uh, 
an, definitely an iconic aircraft, but I'm not sure how iconic it is from the movies. I mean, you know, what movies have one have 747s been in? Well, it, it goes into these. Yeah, what does uh, it say? Airplane. Um, it says airplane here, but the, yeah, the, the, I, the aircraft portrayed an airplane was a 707, not a 747. Ah, but That's except I, for that scene of the nose of an airplane crashing yeah, through the wall. Well, yeah. that was a 747. All right. But, but the, the rest of the movie took place on a 707. Yeah. That's right. It, had, it sounded like DC-3s. sounded like DC-3s, right. So that's, yeah. <laughs> and then Die Hard 2, which Die sucked, Hard, yeah, which, right. which A, sucked, but B, um, did have a 747 <laughs> in it at the end. And it and okay. it also features one of the coolest shots of aviation physics that I ever saw in the movies. Which is that? Um, and, and you know, you would have thought that this was like CG or models or something like that. But the fact that this was so clearly evidence in the film, it makes me think they really did this. It, it so you'll recall at the end of that movie, there was just like a lot of smoke and fire and explosions and right. right and the right. 747 lands through the smoke. All right. Right. And it created the most distinct and clear clearly vortices. visible wingtip wingtip vortices I'd yes. ever seen on yes. on on screen. Uh -huh. um, it was very very cool. I remember look it actually took me out of the movie. All right, it was like suddenly, oh, wait a minute, that's cool. Forget yeah. the movie. That was I remember cool. the I remember the moment. Yeah. 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 So I think they may have actually done that. Well, I think it was I think it's the real I, deal. Yeah. I, I think it's way too subtle, way too aviation geeky for them to have not, you know, them to have created it in CGI. I think that's Plus, they didn't have that level of CGI back then. They were talking 1990 here. Executive Decision, 1996. I don't remember this movie. What movie was this? Um, I can't oh, think. we're up against a nuclear war. No, there's a there's a bomb on a on board a 747 coming in from Europe, um, and oh, right, a bunch right. of guys um, have a snorkel mounted on a on an F-117, and they tap the snorkel up to the bottom of the 7-4 and enter through the cockpit yeah. I and mean, enter through the cargo. Okay. That sounds vaguely familiar. Ken, Russ, Ken, Ken Russell? Russell? Um, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Kurt Thank Russell. you. Yeah, okay. Kurt Russell. Um, the, uh, one of the martial Steven arts Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal. Yeah. Steven Seagal. Um, so there, it was not a bad film, but okay. Right, so. <laughs> Seven Air Force One, of course. Formation but, yeah. flying. Yeah. Seven forty-seven. Yeah, it says uh, the the uh, the uh, Chapman Freeborn uh, blog says these films alone carried combined box office revenues of over seven hundred and sixty million dollars, and the B seven forty-seven has appeared in well over two hundred films to date. I don't know. It's an awesome airplane. I, I it's no question about it. But whether it it's it's, it's iconic a, enough it, in the it's movies. It's iconic. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it represents the ultimate, and you, uh, I, I have seen an Airbus A380 in a television commercial, but I think it's for insurance. I'm not sure I'm reading anything into that, of course. But. Okay, let's uh, let's pause. For, I mean, not pause in terms of the podcast, but pause. But let's just do a set an aside here of one little biz, bit of business I've got to do here. Otherwise, I'll forget. And that is welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to you from UCAP World Headquarters in the Pastoral Letty Fields. And I'm here with my two good friends, uh, Dave Higdon's out there talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How are you doing? The iconic oh. Dave Higdon. That's what I should have said. See, that was there you go. Oh, a lost opportunity like a, right there. Feeling yeah. like a Top Gun. <laughs> How are you doing? What's going on out there in Kansas these days? Uh, well, it, it's been uh, 
boy, it's just stellar weather. It's like uh, Oshkosh all over again, except maybe 10 degrees warmer. Uh, we haven't seen 100 degrees yet this year. That's what I was going to ask you. No repeat of last year's craziness. Or the year before's craziness, or the year before's craziness, or the, yeah, no, no, no. No. Well, good. That's good. Good, good. Uh, yeah, global warming moved elsewhere. I it's still, so. <laughs> it's in Minnesota this week. Yeah, okay. Could be. Uh, and also here with me is uh, Jeb Burnside, talking to us from uh, the iconic Sarasota, Florida, home of yeah. the uh, Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. I don't know. Oop. That's always stuck in. Perhaps bucolic instead of iconic. Bucolic. Okay. <laughs> How are you doing down there in Florida, I'm, Jeb? You hold up? doing well. The, the weather's been fine. We've gotten plenty of rain, but nothing really, you know, not a lot of wind or anything like that. I had to pick up a yard the other day, but I haven't had to pick it up since. Yeah, yeah. But uh, um, What's the hurricane it, it, forecast it, like this year? Well, there's supposed to be an active season, um, but we're not in the September yet. And they did say it was going to be an active uh, fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but there's been some some tropical storms for them. I just happened to be sitting at my computer and uh, loaded up the National Hurricane Center, for which I just happened to have a link ready. Um, and there's uh, some orange off the coast of Africa I'm not even going to worry about, and a little bit of yellow in the South Atlantic or Central Atlantic uh-huh. that doesn't mean a thing right now. So, uh, so right now it's you know smooth sailing. Uh, talk to me in a couple of three weeks. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, it, st- I, I got to say, man, uh, how many years we've been doing this, and that's still the best segue you can come up with? <laughs> <laughs> what few good ones I ever had were long gone in the past. Right. Anyway. Uh, he's uh, had more success than the real segue. Yeah, so, know. you know, he gets he deserves a little slack. Yeah, okay. I'll give you that. Just a little. Number three on the list of most iconic film aircraft here, the Grumman F-14 Tomcat. Uh, obviously, Top Gun, right? Yeah. Um, I'm, I might be willing to give him this one. Yeah? I think it pretty much has to be on anybody's list. Oh, uh, yeah. Of, of certainly, if not iconic, certainly important. Trying uh, to think of other fighter cla- aircraft have played a role in multiple movies. Um Oh, F F fifteens and F sixteens. What about? Well, I was thinking more along the lines of Vietnam era, like the what was it? The uh, F? What was it? The this is terrible. It and everyone knows I'm bad at yeah F four. The F four. The the sled. The 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 iconic Vietnam War fighter jet and uh, yeah. Yeah. but but not for the movies necessarily, and that's the point here. So well, we actually had a lot of depth in jet aircraft during Vietnam, and we were still using old piston airplanes in Vietnam. Yeah. Okay. So there's one, not a fighter plane, but a uh, an intruder. All right, would be an iconic movie airplane because the A six, the uh, the uh, flight of the intruder. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, going going. You know, the F fourteen, um, and we're talking fighters. I think we have to talk P fifty one. I do too. Uh, because there are at least two movies uh, about uh, the Tuskegee Airmen out there. One's made for TV and one's made for film. Mm-hmm. Good point. Uh, yeah, yeah. That feature the 51. And I think the 51 um, is more iconic, um, perhaps, than the F-14. But the F-14 still kind of sort of has to be on the list. Yeah. Was the but P-50- the P-51's not on the list. So yeah. Yeah. Was the P-51 in service at the time of the Battle of Britain, or had it, did it arrive a little no. bit later? It was no. too late it, for the Battle of Britain. Yeah, it arrived a little bit later. Yeah. So, uh, But I think you'd have to include the spit. Yeah. Uh, 
Again, not we're talking only about has movie it got some we're not talking about screen time, right? Yep. Uh, uh, in you know, in movies about the Battle of Britain and mm-hmm. movies about the war in Europe, but just well, the fact that it's the airplane that saved England. Yeah, yeah. No, and, no. yeah arguably, arguably, the, the yeah. Hawker Hurricane guys would argue this, that point. They'd argue that very stridently. But, yeah. I mean, let's let's cut to the chase here. Yeah. The one airplane that is not on the list that has. That should be on the list. Yeah. Well, there's two airplanes in my mind. Right. Uh, one is the B-17. Oh, It's yeah. not on the list. Yeah. And how many movies yeah. have been made about or uh, around a B-17? Absolutely. You're right. Oh, yeah. Right. Tons. And, and the other one, of course, has to be – it's it's kind of a toss-up. Either the the Lockheed – I don't know if what kind of twin it was or what model at Lockheed it was, but the Lockheed that played the role of the airliner in Casablanca. Ah, yes. That's right. Uh, that, right. That airplane and that whole Art Deco kind of uh, thing, oh, that airplane yeah. has to be considered iconic. But it, between that and the, and the DC-3, I'm not sure which I would give you. Okay. The DC-3's well, got to be on the list. DC-3, definitely. I mean, uh, well... For, for the movies, Boy, and movies? we haven't even gotten to the little ears yet. Yet, well, yeah, but well, let's go back for a second. Um, you, you made me think of something, Jeb. So, uh, movies where the the title character was an airplane, and you just mentioned one. That's what made me think of it. Uh, Flight of the Intruder. Uh, oh, that's two. Uh, Memphis Bell is what I was. <laughs> Memphis thinking. Bell. Okay, that too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there are there are others that uh, would yeah. come to mind. I want I, This is a list I want to build. Listeners, help us with this. Go to the forums or send us email. I want to know the. I want to know movies where the title character was an airplane. Title character was an airplane. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Would Con, Would Con Air qualify? I, I don't. No. No. Well. Ooh, no, that no. was an operation. Yeah, operation. right. I, I think it needs to be the you know the either the either the nickname of an airplane like Memphis Bell or the model name like okay. like uh, uh, Intruder Intruder or airplane. Uh, but that wasn't yeah, okay. Maybe maybe. Anyways, oh, we'll make oh, a oh, list. I got one. I got one. What, what, I got what, one. What, what? You ready? Yeah. <laughs> Boeing Boeing. Remember that movie? Yeah. <laughs> I do, as a matter of fact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But was it referring to a particular model or was it referring 707? It was the only one out there oh, that was fed at that's the true. time. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Okay, David. Learjet right. 23. Do I win? Uh, no, but you're a nominee. No. And you, your prize is a iconic uh, <laughs> UCAP t shirt. Yeah. Right. To Don't be traded this. later. Don't you guys do this, man? Last time, we, last time we invented a contest with prizes. Somebody actually won, and we had. That's to go what on. Jeb just won. I know. Yeah. Okay. Well. All right then. Just be clear. The iconic Learjet Twenty Three, yeah. Frost Nixon, Airport Seventy Five, Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen. Uh, oh, okay. For a second, I see. thought, "Wow, David knows that it it's was, been in this many it, movies." He's it was in. It was in a Bond movie at some point. Uh, I think Grand Prix. Uh, the movie Grand Prix, something from back in the 60s or 70s. Uh, and that didn't even come close to touching what it did in terms of popularizing uh, the, 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 the jet set image as something that existed in private life, not just people who bought airline tickets. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, Sinatra bought one of these. Uh, some of his Rat Pack friends bought them. Uh, I believe Arthur Godfrey moved up to this. Uh, 
Yeah. Let's okay. see. What's his name? The golfer. Uh, Arnold Palmer. Palmer. He didn't always fly citations. What's his sure. name? The golfer? That's worse than me forgetting. Arnold Palmer. Iron Man. Um, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, Learjet. That's, this is iconic. I'll, I'll, I'll buy this one, yeah. I think. I'll buy this one. Um, you know what? This one makes me... The, the, when I think Learjet, though, the other thing I think about... Well, actually, this is movies related, all right? Because uh, wasn't the Learjet the platform that Clay Lacey used to do a lot of his uh, stuff? That's yep. true. Yeah. Um, no, and he invented the gimbaled camera uh, yeah. mount platform that let him do that stuff from in flight. Yeah. Yeah, which in Gyro a way stabilized and everything. Yeah, which in a way adds to its iconicism. Iconoclastic. Iconicness. Iconoclastic. Ooh, ism. Iconoclasticism. If your underwear has iconoclastic in it, you can stretch it into anything. Um, it wasn't Clay Lacey. Did you see the video that was uh, on the, the? I came across it on the net this last week or so, of uh, a company called Wolf Air. Um, that apparently does Claire Lacey style, you know, air to air, high end uh, uh, shoots, and uh, they they put their goodie rule, not their good, but they're actually their demo reel, their their um, um, you know, audition reel, on on YouTube, and there's some really spectacular footage of air to air shots of all sorts of aircraft, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of airliners, but also some military aircraft, and um, very very cool video. Cool. And, uh, I, I featured it on the on the homepage of if anybody's curious, so you could go to the homepage of aroundthefield.net, and it's uh, it's one of the items there um, if you want to take a look at it. But uh, some some cool cool videos that these folks did, uh, and and Clay Lacey, of course, you know, practically invented that whole that whole style. And, well, he uh, he he certainly advanced the state of the art because uh, air-to-air photography of some pretty high quality was being done as far back as the early 1920s when film producers started to look at the experiences of World War I pilots as fodder for movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original movie Hell's Angels was uh, a, you know, well, a big-budget operation with a lot of aerial stuff that, uh, if I remember right, people got hurt doing some of it. Wasn't I'm doing a search right here. First Oscar best movie. Uh, wasn't it the movie Wings? I believe it was. Yeah. yeah. So and uh, and I confess I've never actually seen the movie Wings. I've seen clips from it, and uh, they did some amazing air-to-air shots. It's it's extraordinary. It's a great human story uh, wrapped around the First World War. And uh, the, the people that flew combat in it, and uh, you, you know, nothing like flying into combat in airplanes that will handle four Gs but come apart at four point one. Yeah, yeah, and Wings. have engine TBOs of fifty hours. Yeah. Yeah. Again, from Wikipedia, this is going to be the Wikipedia episode. I think Wings is a nineteen twenty-seven American action silent film about two World War One fighter pilot friends both involved with the same beauty and uh, I, and and i'm not sure when they refer to the same beauty they're talking about the same woman or the same airplane i, I want to say i stopped with camel yeah yeah right yeah so uh last one on our kind of air but i didn't realize when i brought this up earlier that this was at the bottom of the list uh, which right. is the c-123 uh, provider the uh, the uh, 
again, I, I've always thought of it as being the, 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 the you know, before there was a 130, the, um, that was the 123. And, and there was some cool flying of it in Air America and, and apparently in Con Air. So, well, that's an interesting list. Anything else that's not on the list that we need to add? I think we've done a good job. Listeners, go into the forums and uh, and uh, tell us what other iconic film, Cur- movie aircraft we've missed. Curtis Jenny. From what movie? Uh, well, uh, The Great Waldo Pepper. Uh, yeah, anything in The Great Waldo Pepper. Yeah. Yeah, uh, The Great Waldo Pepper, uh, Hell's Angels, uh, Wings, uh, Dawn Patrol, uh, I think a movie that Gable did uh, about early airmail pilots. Uh, Jennies were plentiful and cheap in the 20s. Mm-hmm. So they got a lot of film work, yep. even though they might have been, you know, shown to be a fighter airplane on the ground. They were very often Jennies in the air. Yo, Jenny. Yeah. Anyways, very cool. Cool list. Thanks to uh, Chapman Freeborn for putting together the list and uh, giving us something to, to talk about for a few minutes. Okay. It's always toughest to be first. Hurry up, people. We're losing the light. Gather around, gather around. Okay, this is the scene where the members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. In this scene, their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the organizations they work with. So your motivation for this scene is anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. Of course you knew that, right, because it's in the script. Okay, places everybody. Lights. Quiet on set. Let's get it in this take this time. Camera rolling. Audio. Speed. And marker. UCAP disclaimer. Scene 23, take four. And action. It's our anniversary. I know. See, Je- Jeb and tried to... I forgot to, to send flowers. Jeb tried to set up a little segue earlier, but I was uh. saving this for, for the second segment here. So I, I was ignoring De- Jeb's uh, kind uh, you know, attempt to give me a segue into the birthday thing. So, yeah, um, it, it's actually... Well, today's Thursday. It was a week ago yesterday. A week ago Wednesday was the seventh anniversary of the f- recording of the very first episode of this podcast. And uh, we were all the set unnamed up. unnamed General Aviation Podcast. I know, huh? We were all set up to do, the, to do a recording on that actual day, and then, then the news of the day kind of interfered, and we decided it was we would rather do a, a, on a different subject, which you may have heard our, our previous episode. But uh, So we decided to postpone the birthday celebration, such as it is. Um, happy birthday, guys. How you doing? Happy birthday, yeah. I know, huh? So what do you think? You think it's going to last? How long? What do you think? I don't know. This, this aviation thing? or no, the podcast or thing. The I think podcast. it's got maybe a year in it, Max. Yeah. I, I give it six months. Yeah, I know. That's yeah, I was going to say six months, Max. Um, it's been quite a seven years. I, I've been going back through the old show notes. Um, it, it's a it's a little trippy to go back and look at the show notes from seven years ago. Um, it's like you know, it, what's the cliche? How much things have changed and how much they've stayed the same? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. Well, what I'm amazed is it how many times my mother has downloaded this and she doesn't even own a computer. <laughs> well, you know, we, we need all the help we can get, David. So thanks, Mom. Uh, so if yeah. you go back to, let's see if I can find it here. Uh, show notes. Uh, oops, wait a minute. That's not what I wanted to do. 
I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. Here we go. Show notes, episode one. Recorded August 22nd, 2006. Uh, so what did we talk about seven years ago? We talked about avgas prices, right? Uh, we talked about there being a new airport in Utah. At the time, you know, you guys, I, you guys have been paying attention to this stuff on a daily basis for you know all of your much of your adult lives, being being full time aviation journalists. I was kind of new seven years ago. I mean, I was a uh, an enthusiast, but uh, I, I wasn't paying attention to it the way I am now. And I remember at the time I was impressed that there was a new airport. I thought that it was just unheard of that that there would be new airports being created. Uh, it's still it's still unusual a little bit unusual but it's not as unheard of as i thought it was you know and uh, um we talked on the very first episode we had an item that in the show notes we called light sport aircraft a boon question mark light sport lsa had not been approved at that time and uh, it was still a, a proposal i believe I, if i'm remembering this right and uh uh, it's turned out to be a pretty good deal, I think. Uh, I think it was. Uh, I think they published the final rule on it. And I'm not. We started. To I see think O five. Yeah, I think O five was the. Oh, you think they were already making it? They just hadn't come to market rule. yet. Or? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, okay. I, yeah, I think the rule was out there. Sport pilot was out there, uh, but it was still new, and and we were asking the question. Well, you know, it's still new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Here's a well, story. Of course, everybody was really, really disappointed that it, you know, that it didn't remake the industry in the first 48 hours. But we've come to live with that. So we've been doing this six years, seven years, seven years. We were starting number eight. That's right. Seven. Yeah. Years. This is it was seven. It was 2006, and this is 2013. Right. That's seven years, right? Yeah. Um, here's a story that keeps on giving. Um, on episode one, we talked about student pilot starts being down. Right. Yeah, evergreen, yeah. evergreen. Yeah, and uh, another one that keeps another one that keeps on giving is uh, uh, FBOs could do a lot better at selling GA. We talked about that, and uh, we talked about getting started and learning to fly. We yeah. talked about that how many times? Yeah, I know, I know. And FBOs, so yeah. yeah, nothing new under the sun. I know. Episode two. Uh, uh, let's see. No, episode two we talked about um, was right about the time there was that nasty uh, uh, crash in Lexington, Kentucky. I believe that was the one where the um, small the the regional jet took off on the wrong runway. Right. Yeah, it was a it was a on the, CRJ on the too short runway, and uh, because of uh, well, I forget what the judgment was on that, but uh, they uh, they were taxiing around in the dark, and they uh, went into position on a runway they thought was the correct one, but it wasn't, and it wasn't long enough. And uh, they went into a field off beyond the end of the runway. Uh, uh, ADSB, we talked about ADSB in episode two. We talked about uh, air traffic control's future, uh, and uh, we talked about some fly-ins. Oh, here's one. We, over the years, we've talked many times. You've made many references to the uh, annual Labor Day hangar party being put on by your friends Jim Davis and Ken Papard. And and I've recognized, I remembered those names. Those names have become familiar to me. It was only when I was reviewing these old episodes for doing this tonight that I realized that these are the guys you introduced me to at Air Venture this past year. It was, I'd never met these two guys. What a bunch of, what a couple of cool guys they are. 
I, I, and you knew that, obviously. But uh, well, we, yeah, I think I introduced you when they visited the, uh, uh, the visited our news offices, and then we kind of stumbled into them at uh, at Artie and Ed. Artie and Ed that night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I you know, and I'm sure you may. I, I wouldn't doubt that you've introduced me to them at one point or another, but I'd never had an opportunity to chat with them and to get to know them at all until we were at Artie and Ed's. And uh, and and what a, what a couple of really really wonderful guys and uh, they really are yeah yeah and uh, well, I, I've always felt privileged uh, to have them as uh, friends and uh, associates and uh, Kenny and I go back a long time uh, just about half my life and pretty much ninety nine percent of my career in this business mm-hmm. uh, so it's it's when I. When I think about all the friends that I've made and all the people that have come and gone and folks that I still bump into, the fact that Kenny and I trade notes several times a week, even now, uh, just kind of blows me away Mm -hmm. because it all started with a gig that he had with the FAA and a gig I had on a hang gliding magazine. I'm not going to go through too many episodes here, but I just one more thing I want in episode three, uh, where I believe is when we actually named the podcast. Finally, uh, we first started calling it Uncontrolled. That, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had accumulated enough episodes. We actually had listeners sending us emails, and uh, we received emails on episode three from uh, Rick Reynolds, our pal from uh, from uh, uh, EAA, uh, our our boss, and who's who's since been on the podcast many many times. He's part of the uh, musical. Uh, duo of him and James Winbrandt, who who do uh, music for us each summer. Uh, Winbrandt and Reynolds. Winbrandt and Reynolds. That's right. It's a, it's an old vaudeville act. Uh, and uh, we got email from someone named Joe Travis, who I, I confess I don't I don't know if we've had encounters with Joe um, since then. But we also in that for, on that episode number three, that first batch of listener emails, heard from Steve Tupper, um, who at the time I only knew kind of you know almost anonymously as uh, as uh, Stephen Force, who do, did the Airspeed podcast. Even back then, um, he predated us. And uh, um, Steve has become a great friend, uh, both of the podcast and personally over the years. So. So uh, uh, a lot of a lot of things have happened over the years. Um, just to kind of give you a couple of quick numbers here, I, in the past year, um, in year six, I guess it would be, or year seven of the podcast, um, we did uh, episodes number 304 through 335, uh, which means that we produced 31 episodes, but not really. Um, because there actually are two lost episodes um, that had numbers assigned to them uh, throughout the past year. So we did uh, 28 episodes in the past year. I know um, where they are. I, I, I sadly the I know where they are. Same place as the lost Dutchman mine. No, no, no. They're not nearly that lost. Uh, and they may actually reappear at one point. Um, they uh, they got recorded and uh, and then uh, I. So the the, the backstory about the lost episodes is all part of a bigger story, which is that uh, the biggest change, if you stop and think about it uh, over the past year, is that for the better part of six years, we did this podcast on a weekly basis. And uh, and as much as we loved talking on a weekly basis, the uh, the effort of kind of publishing the podcast every single week became became a little bit of a thing. So in the past year, we decided to go to every other week and uh, – 
and we managed to do more than one every other week uh, for the past year. So that's kind of an accomplishment. We're, we're pleased that we have not faded away, and uh, we don't plan to fade away. But uh, So we did uh, 28 episodes, um, 20, 28 actual episodes got posted. Uh, three of those were, were episode numbers that were used for the dailies um, at Sebring and at Sun and Fun and at Oshkosh, and so they actually consisted of more than one for each of those, those episode numbers. So anyways, a lot of episodes over the last year. What's you know, and you go back seven years, and you even go back one year, and it's like things just don't change. Things that you know, it's like you know, we we spent the first five years of this podcast without having an FAA budget, and one might argue that we still don't have an <laughs> FAA budget. All right, you know, with with the sequestration. Well, we have we we have for the last. Uh, what is this? The eighth month? Well, we have for the last eight months. No, until they decided that sequestration required them to cut all things back, so they really don't have a budget when you start. But they didn't really it. cut anything back. Well, they didn't. They didn't. But okay, they diverted right. funding. Yeah, I, I know. I know. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, seriously, they didn't cut anything back. Yeah, nothing went away. They diverted funding. They blackmailed a couple of outfits and gained extra money. Uh. You know, it's been uh, kind of SOP. Are we making progress in general aviation? No. Yeah, it was quick. What you, we, Are we making progress? No, we're not making progress. Are we holding our own? Barely. Okay. Dave, no. do you think we're even barely holding our own? No. In what ways are we falling back? In what ways are we failing? We're continuing, as we have for most of the last 30 years, to shrink. As a population, uh, we're flying less, we're buying less. Our influence in the market is declining, and not even the business aviation element of it is offsetting that decline in the total pie. Uh, it is in other parts of the world, but that's places that are experiencing exponential growth because they had nothing five years ago and now have a couple of hundred airplanes and are looking to have another three or four hundred in the next five or six years and so on from there. So they're going, their percentages are going to be huge. But even they are not driving a big change in business here because they're increasingly developing their own means of producing pilots and planes. So we need to be looking out for ways to make aviation accessible, affordable, and attractive. And do it pretty damn soon because otherwise in another 10 years, there's not going to be enough market here to support a third of the airports that are out there and a quarter of the towers that are there to support them. And we're going to fall below a critical mass. And after that point, it's like a black hole. We just consume... We shrink and we disappear, and the only people that are in this are the ones that are drawing a paycheck. Well, aren't you a happy guy, David? I am so yeah. upbeat. I'm sorry. D I'm Jeb, sorry. But what do you, you, what do you think? You agree? Yeah, he's a he's a real bummer. Yeah, <laughs> but is he is he right? <laughs> um, I'm kidding. Um, I don't know. That's that's certainly a view. Is it's it's tends toward the pessimistic. I think. We are seeing a change in uh, general aviation. I think we're seeing, um, for economic reasons, uh, for operational economics, for acquisition economics, for uh, overall economic, uh, we're seeing 
we're still seeing people who want to fly. Uh, and necessity is the mother of invention. They will find a way to fly. Generally, it's trending towards the, the smaller, uh, less capable, perhaps more fun uh, aircraft and LSAs and, and uh, maybe even Part 103. Uh, we're seeing people, you know, there's still a, there's still a market there. So the, the desire to get into aviation at some level or another is there. Um, Don't disagree. Um, I think we're seeing that kind of grow or at least mature. I think we're seeing um, people like myself uh, who use an airplane and fly it, you know, IFR through weather and around weather for six hours to go somewhere is for travel, for transportation. I think we're seeing that change and, and dissipate. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, one of these days I'm going to go the way of the dinosaurs, um, if not already. Um, so I think the, the face of general aviation is changing. Um, I don't know if it's changing for the better or for the worse. I don't know where to go from that. Um, you know, we uh, <laughs> what, just to kind of finish the thought here. Um, uh, congratulations on seven years, guys. It's uh, yeah, it's been yeah. quite a thing. Uh, it's, been, it's been. I'm not been nearly real. ready to be done yet. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I'm, I, if nothing else, I I really really look forward to talking with you. Yeah, well, <laughs> what's the minimum re- What's the minimum reenlistment at this point? Seven mm-hmm. years. It's, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, let's go month to month. How's that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, and uh, and it would be incredibly remiss if we did not also thank you, thank the listeners uh, for. Uh, all the support oh, yeah. they've shown to us. Um, I've said this before. I'll say it again. The big, big surprise uh, in doing this podcast has been the, the the pleasure I have gotten from meeting all these listeners, and I, th- exactly. I think you guys feel similarly. Um, it, it's just a blast to hear from you folks uh, on on email and in the forums, and when we go out into the world at the fly-ins to uh, to to uh, bump into you folks uh, on the ramp or or at the tie-down party or wherever it, it, it is it, to meet you all and have you. Admit in public with witnesses that you listen to us is just a stunning compliment. Yeah. Thank you. And, it, yes, and it's sir. it's been a thrill to to have made a whole bunch of new friends as a result of this podcast. Um, any other final thoughts from you guys about uh, seven years before we uh, take a quick break? Well, I'll, I'll sign up for another year minimum. Well, Jeb only signed up for a month, so okay, I'll take a year. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Anyways. You know, I'm, I'm, let's open the negotiation. What's it worth to you for me to say, you know, sign up for six months? <laughs> I'll, we'll double what we've been paying you. Yeah. <laughs> Let me consult my accountant. <laughs> AOPA announced uh, their new president the other day. Uh, this is kind of uh, news, huh? Um, it, it is. Funny coincidence, he has a, a, a very AOPA-like name. Um, so it's... Uh, Mark Baker. Mark Baker uh, has been announced as the new president. I'm not sure if he's actually taken office yet. Um, no, about another week. Yeah, they, apparently they're going to have their big annual meeting down there in Frederick um, sometime soon, and at that point he will be After Labor Day. installed. Um, and obviously his big coming out party will be at the, uh, at the uh, what they don't call the expo anymore, the summit, the summit, the summit. summit in, uh, down in Texas. So uh, that's what it's been under the last president. Yeah, we'll see whether it stays the summit. Well, that's an interesting. Uh, that's an interesting observation. Time will tell. Um, 
do we know anything about uh, Mark Baker just yet? Quick observation. Yeah. We've now transitioned through as a podcast into our third AOPA president. I know. Well, we're very, very nearly as many EAA presidents as well. Um, well so. Yeah, we should, we should just stop counting episodes and just count EAOPA presidents. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll number them. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Sorry. We love both of these organizations. We, we kid because we love. We, we, and now right. I'll treat this as seriously as it deserves. No, I'm serious now. Do we know this guy? Um, <laughs> no, we don't. It, I mean, there's, there's adequate material out there. I I mean, he's got you know some videos. There's some other press release and bio material out there. Um, Looks good on paper, that's for sure. I, well, I don't know that he's gone. You know, has he done a video with say Avweb or ANN or somebody like that? Has he sat down with them? I, I haven't seen any. Of those I haven't seen anything either. like that either. Um, uh, that, so that's that, that's going to wait until after the I, installation. I would imagine. Yeah, right. I, so, I would but uh, if you read the bio material that AOPA is sending out with their press releases, he sounds like an interesting guy. Um, he's got serious GA cred, and uh, um, and and you know, with all due respect, I'll say this very seriously, but I say this with respect. All right, he's not like a serious government guy. All right, um, he's not a big time. He is a corporate guy, and that's kind of a little bit of an issue, isn't it? Um, he comes out of the home improvement world, the uh, the Home Depot, um, Orchard Supply Hardware kind of world, uh, where he was like the CEO or something like that. And apparently part of the deal is he gets to continue to consult in that industry. And I don't know, what you, does that raise that, some alarm flags no, for you? No, it doesn't. It doesn't for no? me. Okay. It's this, no. at, at this level, selling a business, um, the new owners are going to take it apart and put it back together. But for investors' interests, you know, the the old guy, the guy who sold the place and knows the ropes, he's still around if if available. So it's more it's a transition thing. It's not exactly. It's not exactly. so much that he refuses to give up that world. It's that exactly. It, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I, I, well, right. it, I've had a little bit of had a little bit of uh, uh, input from uh, from folks here and there, in the way that. That Mr. Baker plays uh, in a lot of this information is a very sharp, amiable, successful fellow who is something of an airport bum mm-hmm. when not committed to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, it, more than just, oh, I have an airplane I use on business. It's like uh, I hang out with pilots. I like airports. Uh, you know, quality time for me is spending a little time out at the airport with the other neighbors who fly, most of which probably are not in the same tax bracket. Uh, that's not, to me, a bad thing. Uh, no, no. No, it's was, not to me a, either. There was a lot of that in Phil Boyer, uh, even though Phil came from a, a, a background of producing television programming for a very large communications company and a network. Uh, there was a lot of Phil that was still an airport bum at heart, and he owned a 172 when he came to work for uh, uh, AOPA. Uh, I don't know if he still owned it when he finally left AOPA, but I know he has a damn nice Waco down there in southern Ohio where he lives now. So uh, he's still an airport bum. I like the idea of an airport bum mm-hmm. running this outfit. Yeah. I do too. I do yeah. too. I like I, you know I like the idea of. Someone with some business acumen um, and with a strong Jones for general aviation aircraft in, in this role. I think it's perhaps great, uh, of more interest to me, though, 
that the AOPA board felt this was the type of individual they wanted to hire. That's a damn good point. Yeah. yeah. That's a that, damn that's, good point. That, that speaks a lot. Um, kind of ups, ups the, the, the AOPA board a notch or two in my book. I'm not going to tell you where they started. Um, I but, have an idea. Yeah, but that's a very interesting outcome to their search. And they've had, you know, basically nine months to do this search. Well, and the other thing that struck me, too, is that with the transition from Phil Boyer, who we got to spend enough time around to, to get to know fairly well, between Mr. Boyer and Mr. Fuller, the departing president, was marked by Craig Fuller being, quote-unquote, introduced to the membership at what was still AOPA Expo, and Phil providing some transitional support through the rest of the year and then Fuller taking over on January 1. And he was out on the Huskings in a New York minute after that. Uh, In this instance, we had an announcement almost a year before the end of the contract term that there would not be a renewal of the contract, that the search was underway for a replacement. And now we have the replacement handoff occurring far enough ahead of the association's seminal annual event that I really don't expect to see Mr. Fuller uh, or hear that he's shown up for anything at all at Summit hmm. when all said done. Now, I'm saying that without looking at the website and without seeing what the, what the, the setup is. But it just strikes me that we're making a break here separate from that so that Mr. Baker goes to Summit as the undisputed king of the hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The new, well, the, think, the new sheriff in town. Yeah. I, I think that's probably you know something they want to do, and it might be something that he required um, as part of this. But I think the jury's out on whether or not uh, Fuller will be there and what role he'll play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like it, I wouldn't, said, it wouldn't bother me if he had a role, um, because I think it's gracious on the part of the organization, the incoming guy as well as the outgoing guy, for him to have some kind of a role. If it's only to say, "Let me introduce you to the new guy. Here's the gavel. I'm out of here." Um, you know, Marv. You know, start number one. Um, that would be very classy. It, yeah. it really would be. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah. just some some nagging little vibration. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that will happen. I'm saying that's what maybe would you know would would be one thing that could happen. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, and it, yeah. I, I have a I have a habit of trying to be wrong at least on one thing at least once a day just to keep myself straight. Uh, but the incident that I read about the transition, the swearing in, the handoff at the upcoming board me- meeting right after Labor Day. And I flashed ahead to a month later at Summit and thought, what a perfect break. Yeah. The old guy, at the most, shows up for the opening general session, says, so long to the membership, introduces the new guy. He says, he took over last month. I've just been cleaning out my office since. Here he is. Been great working for you. Yeah. And disappears. Yeah. Well, um, we welcome Mark Baker as the uh, new president and CEO of AOPA. And, we uh, sure wish him the best. We absolutely wish him the best. And uh, we'll, we'll reach out to our friends at AOPA and see if we can get uh, uh, Mark Baker on the podcast here and, and chat with him a little bit about his, uh, his ideas and his plans. I think that would be kind of interesting. We should try we and do that. Be. We should do that. Yeah. 
We here at the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. Thank you. What else here? Um, so we, we, we talk a lot about drones on this podcast. Uh, we have for a long time now. As a matter of fact, I think that's one of the things we talked about in the first two or three episodes we talked about drones uh, in, the, in the airspace. Um, it, it just goes to show you how you, you, want an, you want an example of how ingrained in our culture and in our, our, our lives drones have become. All right. The ultimate iconoclastic, artistic kind of, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Alternate, universe. yeah, alternate reality, oh. alternate culture, right? The 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 Burning Man uh, event uh, out in the desert of Nevada, all right, uh, this year, all right, has a drone policy, all right. Yeah. They have they have they've had to announce to their uh, to their uh, attendees that there are rules for flying drones uh, uh, over the uh, over the the crowd at Burning Man this year, and uh, um, I mean it's kind of not a surprise, and it. it See, and I, I thought my friends at Inatech were going to be insulted by this segment when you started talking about drones. Yeah, no. So uh, Black Rock City is what they call the, uh, the uh, location where they hold Burning Man each, uh, each summer uh, in uh, Nevada. Um, have uh, the Black Rock City RC slash UAV guidelines and information. This is from the BurningMan.com website. And I won't go into all the details. But they've, they've laid out some interesting rules about how yeah. to fly the drones over the crowd. It, ha- it mostly has to do with safety. Um, don't want uh, drones uh, uh, colliding with uh, people, obviously. Uh, it also has to do with privacy. Uh, there are Drones aside, Burning Man has some very clear rules about photography. Um, there's a lot of uh, very personal stuff that goes on at Burning Man. And so for years, they've had rules about taking pictures um, during the event. And, and you can take pictures, apparently, but there are limits. And, uh, and, and apparently, these limitations work just fine. And so they've, to a certain extent, extended these limits now to drone photography. Um, but uh, it's just a sign of the times that, uh, that the drone stuff is, uh, is, is there now is a drone policy for Burning Man. Yeah. It's just yeah. a thing. Huh? It's, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Um, I think that's iconic also. Let's put it that way. Yeah, really. Well, it, it, they, they go into such detail here that item 11 on their, uh, on their guidelines and information for RC and UAVs is a density altitude warning. Yeah, well, there you go, right? The, the whole thing is just very interesting. Putting aside the the, um, the act of having to have a, a um, uh, UAV policy at Burning Man, it's it's relatively well, and it's very well done, actually, and well it thought It really out. is, yeah. And it's just a conversational style. It's nothing like, you shall, you shall not. It's like, hey, you know, don't do this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know? yeah, well, that's, that's very Burning Man. I've never been to Burning yeah. Man. I hope to go one day. Yeah, yeah, me um, too. But, uh, um, but, but I, I follow a lot of their mailing lists, and that's the way the Burning Man people are. They, you know, they realize that the, you know, there have to be limits. You know, in very, they have a very, very interesting airport uh, operation mm-hmm. at Burning Man. They literally have an airport. It's uh, charted and and registered. It's like uh, NV eighty eight or something like that. Um, and uh, that's there's the, a, 
There's a link to it here in this. In this, uh, is it? Yeah, is it there? Yeah, and uh, um, uh, I, I follow. I belong to a mailing list of people who talk about the whole Burning Man Airport uh, uh, situation throughout the year, and uh, it, it's very interesting because it's this weird combination of the whole Burning Man kind of you know, f- uh, uh, you know, kind of offbeat sensibility, but also we're flying airplanes and we got to be safe, kind of thing. You know, um, apparently the big thing that's happening this year at Burning Man is that there are some serious fires in the area, and it's causing um, reduced visibility due to smoke um, on some of the standard routes, the common routes to get to uh, Black Rock City. And so there's a lot of discussion. Um, Burning Man is actually going on now. It started like couple of days ago and oh, they started really started last weekend yeah, yeah. so uh, they're they're in the midst of it right now but there's a lot of talk uh, in the mailing list well and it's as, as very often happens with uh the exuberance of something new emerging in the culture it was what some people felt like were inappropriate and excessive use of helicopters uh, rc helicopters uh flying during some of the key events of last year's Burning Man that prompted the the summit that got this whole advisory started. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's one of those, you know, if everybody had played well, it probably would still be a little more open. But it looks like they're trying their best to keep it uh, as flexible as possible. Yeah. Now, back out in the real world, wasn't there a drone crash in the news just the other day? I don't. It's not on the list. I don't have the link here. But I remember reading something about a a, a, a drone. Yeah, I, I believe uh-huh. it was a private drone, not, not not certainly not a military drone. We're talking like a, some sort of was, private, yeah, uh, private drone. photography drone um, mm-hmm. went down into a crowd and quote unquote injured a couple of people. And it wasn't clear to me the you know the the seriousness of the injuries. Um, you know, I, I'm sure they weren't nothing, but uh, it could have been as simple as you know kind of getting. Yeah, uh, last Saturday in Virginia. Is that yeah? That uh-huh. sounds right. Do you know anything about the nature of the uh, the incident? Well, it was at Virginia Motorsports Park during the Great Bull Run. That says something right by itself, the Great Bull Run. Yeah. And uh, it's a day-long festival featuring bands, drinking games, a tomato fight, and a four-hour scheduled bull run in which participants would try to elude or outrace 24 specimens of male livestock. (laughs) So the drone crash was really kind of below the the noise level almost. I don't know. It's... uh... <laughs> you know the, the the bulls are running at Bull Run. What can you say? And, uh, you know, okay. And the uh, the uh, spider helicopter, uh, about four foot across, apparently uh, had some kind of uh, RC brain fart and plunged into a, a crowd of people. Yeah. Well, Batteries died. Is what I heard. Something like that. Sure. I mean, that's just you know, and and the. I don't know what the what the metaphor is. The cat's out of the bag here, man. The you know the, the this is not going away. These drones are. You know, for, let's even put aside military government drones here. You know, privately operated drones are a thing now. And uh, and I read lots of different talks about you know about these that that it's a very positive thing. I mean, you know, there's talk about drone networks. There's talk about you know having sort of the open drone movement. You know where. You know, you had all bunch of drones coordinating with each other and and providing their video signals and other data to the world at large, and it's uh, it's not going away. You know, we we well, may have concerns about about you know about uh, about uh, airspace collisions, and and those are I think really important concerns. But most people aren't worried about that. 
Well, it bears bears pointing out that we've had quote unquote drones in the airspace for decades since the invention of the radio control model. Yeah, it's a funny distinction all, that all, people are making and not making. Yeah, all that's changed here is really the purposing of those machines. When it was just a guy's habits, a hobby, he liked to go out and, you know, not flying real airplanes, but he gets his kicks or she gets her kicks from controlling an airplane that they watch from the ground and they can make it do stuff that they could never do on their own without throwing up. And that's all well and good. And the American Modeling Association had its guidelines and there was... Uh, some comedy between the FAA and the modeling community and some agreement on standards and airspace use and model runways were built and they fly within 400 feet of the ground and uh, you guys out on the coast flying RC-controlled sailplanes off bluffs where they get much higher. Uh, And then we started to hang sensors on them and purpose them for doing things that's one difference. The other difference is that because they become more more sophisticated, they're they're much more easier. They're much more easier to control. Easy and, for, uh, and so, easier for you to say. Yeah, I know. But they're much more sophisticated platforms for these sensors as well. And uh, you know, that's that's the other difference. And 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 but I still just, maintain that it's the repurposing that's yeah, okay. really driving this. But but the the repurposing is driven by the technology allowing them to do things that. That the old RC aircraft couldn't do, even the helicopters. Well, they they could do it. Uh, they could do it, but why would you do it without a sensor on there? I mean, you can put this stuff on a hobby machine that'll let it fly autonomously around a course and to what end? To race another autonomous airplane around a course? But, well, okay, well and good, but the guidelines say you don't get it beyond line of sight. Right. For safety reasons. But once upon a time, it took a lot of skill to fly an RC helicopter smoothly enough to take useful pictures. These days, it's... Uh, uh, the, it, that skill is available These to a lot These days, you don't have to know how to fly. That's what I'm saying, all right? And, and that's and, what's making a big difference. But people wouldn't be interested in flying these things if it wasn't for the repurposing. Yeah. The re- I agree with that part. It's the repurposing. Anyways. Right. So. Drones. Burning Man has a drone policy, and they did it well. And maybe you know, it would, wouldn't it be cool if the rest of the world learned something from Burning Man's drone policy? Uh, I don't have a lot of hype. It would be very cool. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Move on, because <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> Shoutouts. What do we got here? Uh, I I came across this story, and it's been a, I need to I need to refresh my memory here because I want to look at this. But I remember thinking this was a cool story. Um, there's a, an Ohio EAA member who is in the process of transforming an 11-acre cornfield into a World War One French aerodrome. This is just east of Dayton, um, and uh, and I just think this is cool. Um, there's this is from a story at uh, EAA.org, and World War One replica aerodrome taking form in Ohio. And uh, uh, Russ Turner uh, is is uh, has been spending some time um, putting together this this uh, this, uh, this airfield with uh, with uh, uh, you know uh, some buildings and aircraft that have the look and feel of a World War One aerodrome. And uh, he's sort of turning it into uh, not exactly a, well, sort of a destination, sort of a of a uh, on blank. What the name of the uh, 
the cool World War One era. Old Rhinebeck. Rhinebeck, thank you, yes. Um, and uh, uh, sort of a Ohio version of this um, and uh, some pictures in this story that show some some you know, interesting looking buildings that kind of look have that kind of look like they were new when they were built back in you know 1915 and uh, very very cool project. I, I I'm trying to figure out how I can get out here and check this thing out. But uh, uh, if you uh, Google World War One replica aerodrome aerodrome, uh, you probably find this. And we'll put a link in the, or Jeff will put a link in the show notes. And uh, it's a cool project. I I think it's very very cool. And uh, I think he's inviting people to come in and uh, and check it out. So yeah, it's not clear. Yeah. Anyways, I think that's a cool project. Other shout outs? Who's got one? Um, let's see. Let me find my notes here. Here we go. Yeah, Mike Collins. Um, one of the uh, long-standing uh, uh, media guys at uh, at AOPA, he's riding shotgun on a uh, MU2 around the country. I think even as I speak, I'm not sure they're back yet. They left a couple of days ago, um, uh, headed uh, east uh, from I guess Frederick uh, near near Frederick, DC area, uh, and boogieing right along. Last time I checked, I, I confess I haven't been paying a whole lot of attention. Uh, I don't and I'm. Um, there's Salzburg, a reason, Germany. Yeah, there, there, there's a reason for this. I just don't know what it is right off the top of my head. But that's always been something I'd want to. I'd want to do. Austria. Yeah. They made it to Austria. To, right. They were in Austria today. Right. Okay. Let's see what he's posting on Facebook. Around the world in 25 days uh, is the kind of the theme here. They, they're going to be on in Nagoya, Japan, on September 14. That's what it is. Um, on September 14, being in uh, Nagoya, Japan, for the 50th anniversary of the MU-2's first flight. Ah, very cool. Uh, yeah, Describe the, the MU-2 for us. What, what's the MU-2 is a um, high wing. It's Japanese designed and, and, and certified initially. And then, uh, well, I guess it's still uh, Japanese certified, uh, FAA certified also. But Japanese designed and, and built um, uh, twin engine turboprop. Uh, high wing uh, sponsons for uh, uh, gear storage um, and whatnot. It's a very fast airplane for its horsepower. It's uh, a little bit quirky. Um, it has some special characteristics, um, but it's it is uh, loud. It's very loud. It's got these got these yeah. Garrett, Garrett grenades in it, you know, and um, uh, sucker is loud. But it's a very nicely performing airplane. I, I believe. Uh, Dave, isn't this adapted from the F one hundred four? There's some some American fighter that Japan was licensed building and used that engineering as the basis I, for this. The 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 the, the airfoil and the wing design, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, I think, came from the F one hundred four, and. Uh, the fuselage was built to be more accommodating to passengers, right? But it's still the same kind of high wing setup as on a 104. Uh, sponsons that store the landing gear in the f- lower fuselage, uh, and those Garrett uh, I hadn't heard Garrett grenades in ages. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, Garrett 731s with geared. That's a geared turbine engine as opposed to one that uses a free turbine to drive the shaft. Right. And uh, the gearbox in that puppy makes a whining noise of a parallel decibel level. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, one of a kind. If, if you hear it once, I guarantee you, you lost hearing in the process. That's right. You won't hear nothing again. But um, so this guy, uh, so he's flying. He started in Maryland, and he's yeah. and he he's headed eastbound, is what you're saying. Right. He's yeah. currently in Austria, or that's in, apparently Salzburg. Salzburg is the most recent stop. So, yeah, and he's headed this for is, Japan. Headed, they're headed for Japan to be in Japan on on uh, what did I say? September 12, September 14. What I'm getting to here is that he's about to go through the difficult part of this flight. All right. My, from from reading about these kinds of round the world, you know, per, personal flights. Right. It's not the flying that's the hard part. It's the paperwork that's the hard well, part. Well, it's it's the handling, yeah. And they said somewhere in here, the company that's doing their handling, um, I don't see it in here, but they're, they're uh, Germany, then, then Austria. A couple of days of business in Austria. They'll transit the Middle East, fuel stop in India on the way to Australia. Uh, a few more days in Australia. We just like, I'm sorry, you just buried the lead here. Transit the Middle East. All right. You've kind of like. I know, I know, I know. It's a good thing there aren't any problems in that at part yeah, of the Yeah, I can't imagine, you know, what could go wrong? I know, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's, this is, this is the part I want to hear about. Okay. We're going to keep I wanna hear, on this I want to hear, I want to hear more about this stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. When it's, when it's all said and done. I, yeah. But, uh, um, several days in Australia, then to the Philippines, then to, Ta- then to Taiwan. And then into Japan, and then uh, after um, uh, after they leave Japan after the celebration on the on the MU, on the MU two's fiftieth, uh, uh, three stops in Russia to get home, two stops in Alaska, North Dakota, and then boom, uh, they've got this all mapped out. Um, and I forget who's handling them. I forget, but um, um, no, it's not clear to me. Is he alone? No, no, he's riding shotgun. Okay. Uh, the uh, Ross Russo is the uh, the guy apparently. Uh, okay. Who's, who owns that, it? That's who passed the trip on to him. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's right. flying with a guy named Mike Laver. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Who has a business here in the United States, buying, refurbishing, reselling MU2s. He also operates a huge charter fleet of them and an MU2 specialty repair facility. Uh. And Mike does a lot of international pickup and delivery of MU2s that he's doing uh, business with. Mm-hmm. So he's wired into one of the uh, many companies here in, in here and around the world that specialize in providing handling services ah, okay. for international operations. Okay. So they take care of filing the paperwork you tell them your itinerary when you want to go they take care of filing the paperwork paying the fees uh getting the paperwork to you so that you basically show up sign something and move on uh in this particular case they're using an outfit i'm familiar with called base ops that's it yeah 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 okay well we're going to keep an eye on this because this is cool and uh and we're particularly curious about the adventure of getting through this next part of the world it's it's one on my list that i know will never get into the bucket yeah, yeah me too there we go shout outs david you got anything uh no no that's a good answer <laughs> that's a good answer Time to stick a fork in this one. Uh, Jeb Burnside is a, a freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What you been working on, Jeb? Anything fun? Not a damn thing. I know you told us this. <laughs> <laughs> you got back from Oshkosh, you did your Next. magazine, and now you're kicking back. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's was. it been a long spring and summer. Um, 
and uh, I'm, I'm just starting to get geared up, probably start tomorrow, actually, on the ne- next issue of Aviation Safety. Well, I say start, you know, sit down and start putting stuff together. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. uh, next issue of Aviation Safety, uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. It could, could be fun. Where can people find you on the internets? Uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com is a great place. Uh, JEBurnside.com is another. Uh, I'm on the Facebook and the uh, Twitter machine. I think it's BurnsideJ on the Twitter. Mm-hmm. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, what have you been working on? Uh, well, I had a nice interview uh this morning, as a matter of fact, with the head of a major aviation trade association to talk about their upcoming convention for an article in uh, the October World Aircraft Sales. Oh, okay. All right. I can't and imagine. I, can't imagine. I know. I had to think for a second, but uh, yeah, right. Uh, what else, David? Anything fun? I mean, that's, that's fun, but anything else fun? Oh, it's always fun visiting with this guy. Uh, Let's see. Well, uh, we're planning on trying to do a little photo coverage of the uh, monthly motorcycle run-in at Cassidy, Kansas on Sunday. It's a first Sunday of the month. Uh, population of the town's about 117 people, and about 3,000 bikers usually show up on the first Sunday of the month. So, cool. Uh, cool. And then they do a similar one for uh, people who fly in the next weekend. Oh, really? So yeah. oh, okay, so it's a combination motorcycle and airplane fly-in ride. No, they're a week apart. Well, but okay, but they're related, is what you're saying. No, same except location. for the location. <laughs> Come on, David, I'm trying to make, I'm trying give to get me, this motorcycle give him thing. Something, man. <laughs> Where can people find you on the internet, David? Oh, uh, avbuyer.com, aea.net, aviationsafetymagazine.com. Uh, uh, you can go review the work we did for uh, EAA at airventure.org and look up the AirVenture Today link. Uh, and then a couple of places where I'm under strict orders not to reveal my identity or they'll take away my uh, Inspector Morgan card. Mm-hmm. And you have, you've remained strong about the Facebook thing, but you are on the Twitter. What are you called on the Twitter? Uh, Real Higdon on Twitter. There you go. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, please check out my latest Kindle ebook, Around the Field, Volume 2, Stories of the People, Places, and Planes of the Oshkosh Fly-In. You can read it on your Kindle device or with your Kindle reader software on your iPad or other tablet or laptop or desktop computer. Uh, and learn more about all of my ebooks at Amazon.com slash author slash Jack Hodgson. You can follow me on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson. And please sign up for my email newsletter. No more than once a week, I'll send you information about my publications and the other projects I'm working on. There's a link to the subscription form and a lot of other information about me at JackHodgson.com and also AroundTheField.net. There's no Jack H. like our Jack H. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for his help with our show notes in the forums. Uh, thanks to him and to uh, Jim Goldman for their help. They're, they're, they're our official party planners now. I'm going to add, it's going to be part of the credits. Right? Jim Goldman's going to become our social director. He doesn't know that yet. Well, he does now. Uh, and <laughs> don't forget to ch- listening to this. Yeah, that's right. And don't forget to check out the uh, rest of the <clears throat> UCAP website. You can chat with us directly uh, and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. You can see who's doing what in the new ratings webpage of fame and much, much more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you're going to say something? Grow old the best way possible and go fly because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go fly and... 
seven years, really? 